You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Good to see you all. Uh, I'm James Acaster, and if you don't enjoy this next half hour, you're in for a long night. (laughs) Basically, you have to watch it, think it's shit, and then listen to me for an hour talk about my method. (laughs) How'd you write that joke everyone hated? Interesting story. Hello there. Welcome back and Happy New Year. I've got a a few archival episodes that I'm going to re-release throughout January. This one is from February 2013, if you can imagine as far back as then, uh, before James Acaster was the comedy titan he is, when he was simply sweet little James. And uh, in this episode from many, many years ago, my God, 10 years ago, that's astonishing. Um, we uh, this, this was a new format I was trying at the time where I booked James to do sort of 20 minutes or half an hour of stand-up and then we had an in- we had like an intro I think um it was Richard Sandling on the bill as well I think he may have been um and so I hosted and then we- James did a set and then we had a break and then we did a live com-com it was a fun thing but very few people were as visionary as James and very few other acts that I asked were up for that format because why would you put yourself through that um but we are going to talk about the importance of comedy grounded in truth uh, we're going to talk about the responsibility to one's audience we're going to uh, find out what annoys sweet little James about comedy and uh we will all we also cover purposely sabotaging his own gigs that were going badly um which i think became a theme for james for some time which i i I believe is now happily resolved um and then we have three audience questions about wearing slacks so what we're going to do throughout uh january myself and producer nathan is release some uh archival episodes i'm calling it comcompendium so that it sticks out a little bit on your feed and uh, I'm doing this in order to buy myself some time while I get my ducks in a row regarding the ComCom book, the social media rollout of my new special, about which I'll tell you a little bit more in the middle, uh, and also a new keynote that I'm writing about eco-anxiety and a new show that I'm writing, which isn't about anything. You don't need to know. All right, speak to you in a bit. Here's James Acaster from 10 years ago. Thanks for coming. Thanks for coming and being brilliant. Thanks for having me, Stu. Well done. Well done. uh, Love the gig. I feel like I should start by going, how was it for you? But (laughs) there's always a danger you might go, "Mm, a bit dry. Hated them, bunch of... (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, we're seeing a different side of James now, aren't we? 
how good would that well, be? Really like, yeah. If the mask slipped, that would be wonderful. Yeah. Um, I've just realised that the, uh, as I said, the mask slipped. I've broken my chair, so I'll uh, sit. Oh no, no, I can't do that because I've ripped my trousers. Right. <laughs> good. Classic I'll just, Goldsmith. I'll just hover over here. You've got to have a thing, haven't you? <laughs> um, so. Uh, <laughs> I've done literally no preparation. But do you know what? Do you know what? Part of me is thinking ahead, going, that's all right, I'll edit that bit out. But not for you, I can't. So, it's not ideal. It's clearly what it's normally like. You listen to the polished versions at home, it's actually him sitting there with Dr Brown going, no idea what I've got to say to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it really is. No, I, I, uh, the Rob Rouse went, one went out yesterday, and uh, there's a good ten minutes of that that I cut out because my belly kept gurgling, and with the two of us were just laughing. And then I tried to throw a midget gem into my mouth and missed. So, a fascinating glimpse behind the curtain here for those of you who came to the live show. This bit probably won't make it, so that's special just for you. Now, let's fucking get on with this. So, uh, how was that for you? That was all new stuff you were saying. Yeah, it's it's good fun. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Because you're on tour at the moment, so how's your, how's mm. your tour going? Uh, yeah, it's, tour's nice. Nicer than last year. But last year I toured uh, the show in May, and I'd already got sick of the show. Okay. Uh, so I already didn't like the show at all. Because you've been doing it for a whole Edinburgh... Well, it was my debut show, so I, I, I've been building it up for years, gone to Edinburgh, done it every night in Edinburgh, and yeah. then not done it for ages, started to write a new show, which I was more excited about, <laughs> then had to go out on tour and uh, talk about a fucking cheese grater again. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and, I, and I, wasn't, I was like, I can't be bothered with this. And like, I, I just wasn't as excited about the show sure. anymore. I, thought, I felt like the show I was writing was, was better and I was more excited about it. And I just didn't want to be... Turn up, um, you know, plus, the numbers weren't amazing. Okay. So I was, I was turning up to a small crowd doing stuff that I didn't like anymore. I mean, and it, it was not a good did night you, in did, Reading. Um, yeah. and, um, and did you feel like, you did a good job of selling the stuff as if you were still excited about it? I tried to. I hope I did a good job of it. I, I tried to, yeah, be like, that. I'm still into this. And I still like this. But it's hard when you know, because by that point, like a lot of the routines in the first show are quite short compared to the stuff in the second show which at that point was already I was getting more out of subjects and mm. drawing it out I was, I was more proud of that and then in my head I'd really feel it when I just got to the end of a joke really quickly and then moved on and I just felt like I think if you know as a performer this doesn't suit you anymore and this yeah. isn't really who you are anymore and you're uncomfortable in it they can sure. tell as an audience that like this isn't really him whereas like because you always have good gigs when you're an open spot and that's not, you're never the finished article, but like you still have good gigs because you're doing the best you can at that point. And the audience can tell when you're doing your absolute best. Mm-hmm. And then if you're being lazy, they can tell as well. And so I felt that going out and doing that show after I'd already moved past it, they could kind of pick up on the fact that this is not, he's not doing his best here. Sure. And, uh, and some nights were quite quite hard that's quite a big uh, element of your work on stage it's a big element of your act is that listening to an audience and, and them knowing where you are and where to place you do you mean you're not a hype guy you don't come out and go bang here's the gear <laughs> you, your first thing really is to come on and, and listen and smile and kind of draw us in mm. so that, and that's something that's, that's become more apparent in your, your work since that, pre- since that first tour so when you did the first tour, it wasn't just a case of I'm tired of the stuff. You'd actually become a different type of performer. Yeah, yeah. Going on and kind of just uh, looking at them and smiling 
it's all very well and good if you if you, if you know that you've got material that suits that. Sure. Whereas I was going on and like still almost trying to be that comic, mm. and then opening with a joke that was a lot more kind of punchy or whatever, and it, and it was just like, oh, hold on, we thought you were going to be this, and you're not. You thought you, thought you were going to be quite a slow comic, and suddenly these routines are quite quick, and sure. it's it, it all quite jarring. Um, and whereas with this one now, touring it now, I feel like I'm, I am it's still relevant to me on that comic, and so I can go out and enjoy it for an hour, and I don't feel like they're there going, oh, we think because the, the, the new stuff at the minute is not. You know, up to that it's not as good what I did for you tonight it's not as good <laughs> as the stuff I'm doing in the, in the show <laughs> sure but this is but exactly but this is the sort of stuff that you, these people will come and see in the show next year and they'll go wow he got another 15 minutes out of the mariachi band yeah he's like da 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 for ages yeah <laughs> That's it. I, I was saying to James in the interval, I, we need to walk a fine line here between uh, referring to the stuff you've just seen and not alienating 99% of the people who are going to listen to it. So uh, if you don't, if, uh, for the benefit of the listener, uh, if you don't recognise the da 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 bit, then buy a fucking ticket next time and turn up. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> oh, that bit was good, wasn't it? Good, that bit. Oh, marvellous. <laughs> So, um, so in terms of your, there's one of the things I think that's most immediate apparent, immediately apparent about your act is the is the pace of it. You're one of the slowest talkers, I can imagine. I think that's yeah. fair to say on the circuit. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and you seem to work a lot with silence and with mm. expectation. Do you, do you, I did not I, I didn't know if you were being quiet then, if that was a pause before. Or I was something. genuinely listening, but... Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, and is that, so is that something that's come about more recently? You said you started off with shorter jokes. Were you... With, with the shorter jokes, was that... Is this something you've discovered, is what mm. I'm getting at? Uh, no, it's kind of gone in, in like, cycles. When, when, when I started out, I, I, I started out doing long stories, um, and a lot of them would, like, you know, because I wasn't very good at writing and stuff like that, a lot of them would have... I had to be really patient and um, trust the punchline for the story. So I was used to kind of telling the story for almost two or three minutes to silence and then getting a laugh at the end. So just like holding my nerve for the whole thing. That's, and then, yeah. And getting a laugh. Um, of course, like, you know, it's in my first couple of years, that would often backfire horrifically. <laughs> but like, you know, I would. I, I would uh, but you I, stuck so with it, that. though, that's the thing. And it is a case yeah. of holding your nerve, I think. You mm. do seem, it, because of the quietness and the stillness, you, you just exude confidence. And, I mean, that, that, is that a true reflection of how you're feeling in it? I mean, is there any part if, of your brain now, say, earlier tonight, yeah. or during a quiet bit, is there part of you thinking, come on, fuckers, laugh at this? Is there, uh, uh, yeah. I hope, you know. Well, there, there are some bits that, like, I know... Once I know the routine, I am confident with it, and it's fine, mm. and, I, and, I, and then you do relish the silences more. Um, and, like, you know, like that... Uh, referring to material... Yeah, refer like, to it, refer that to it. That ice cream van did bit that I did at the beginning, mm. I know that the build-up to it, the first few lines, um, aren't, aren't that funny. Mm-hmm. And they're very small laughs, if anything. Most nights it won't really get anything. But it sounds like they're meant to be funny, and so a lot of the time the audience are thinking, his first joke has already not worked. Sure. And, <laughs> and this has not, this not gone well okay. already. And, but I know that that the line when I say I'm in a van will always be quite a big laugh and it's that relief of them all going okay we can trust him now for the rest of it and so there's that and I'm confident with that because I've done it enough times but the first time I did it Mm -hmm. I didn't know where the laughs were or which I didn't know that was the first laugh I actually optimistically thought that it came a lot earlier (laughs) and and like and 
I didn't know. It wasn't a deliberate thing of like, I'm going to get them with loads of little... They're going to think I'm rubbish and then I'm going to flip it. Yeah. Just genuinely, they thought I was rubbish and then I, I, yeah. quite, quite luckily there was a line that worked. But like, so when I first did it, I was definitely in my head thinking, oh no, oh no, they don't think me offering free refills is a very funny idea at mm-hmm. all. Uh, and then it turned out that that was the joke and then it's like, okay, fine. But like, you know, there's like a thing to not, when, when I was talking about Yoko Ono tonight, mm-hmm. that's, really, that's really new and I'm only f- starting to find where sure. the laughs are. So I was definitely with that while I was saying, it's like, uh-oh, okay, see, yeah. let's, let's see if any of this, and just talk until you get a big enough laugh and then bail and go on to something else. Yeah, okay. So like, there was like, you know, I think that, that something about Jane Asher got a laugh. Yeah. <laughs> and then I was like, right, next bit, and then you move on. Sure. But, um, sure, actually, I made a note there, the split up the Beatles, this bit is a bit coolly received. <laughs> I just... I just thought, and it was just inter- <laughs> just interesting from the point of view. Didn't mention of- this when you rang me up. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but what I mean is, you can see the first fifteen minutes or so, everyone was absolutely with you, and mm. you know, it's interesting to hear you say. And I, I don't know. I kind of want to ask the audience: Did you find that the Beatles bit was a bit harder going? Did you have less faith in it? <laughs> I'm not talking about the material itself. I'm talking about the specific performance tonight, seeing as we have the opportunity to kind of to feedback on that. Oh, go for it. Don't worry about my feelings. <laughs> <laughs> I would mention it if I didn't have absolute confidence yeah, yeah, in your confidence. I'm fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I know that bit is... Um, that bit is uh, very sketchy at the moment. Sure. All I know with that bit is that I want to talk about Yoko Ono. Mm-hmm. And... <laughs> That <laughs> I uh, I want to defend Yoko Ono for no real reason. Okay. During during the show. Okay. And I know that I think that's funny, but at the moment I don't know how. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know like exactly what the words are going to be and the angle on it. Sure. But I think there's something funny about Yoko Ono, and so yeah. like that's that's it. So at the minute, it's just saying it on stage a few times and running with it until you find things that point to... Okay. That, you know, that path might be funny and that path might be sure. funny. And then going away and then writing it sure. and properly like, having a day of going, okay, so, you know, um, saying that uh, Jane Asher wasted her opportunity when she could have done it and now no one cares who she is. Yeah. So maybe write a thing about that and then, and then try and find a few angles on it, as many as I can. Okay. And, and, do all that, but and are you finding with, those angles on stage conversationally? You do it like, you... a bit off and on stage. So you do okay. it on stage. When you kind of like some ideas like this one, you kind of sit down at home and you don't know. It's something that you almost find so personally funny mm-hmm. that you, you can write down anything at home and go, oh, that's so funny. Because yeah. <laughs> like, like, for some reason, I personally think Yoko Ono's hilarious. Sure. But like, um, and that's it. But like, you go on stage and you start talking about Yoko Ono and like, you know, it's not, it's not a room full of, you know, people like you. It's, it's, it's a right mixture of people and, like, you know, they've got to all be told why Yoko Ono is for the, funny. For the benefit of the listener, every person in this room is identical. Yeah. And, uh... <laughs> but no, not a jumper and shirt in sight. You know? yeah. um, but, um... Yeah, so you kind of like so, so it's like a bit of both. Like with, mm. with this one, it's like I, I I know it's funny, but I don't actually know why it's funny. Yeah. So I'm okay. going on stage okay. just talking about. Well, it. Well, let's talk about that that instinct then that you know it's funny, mm. but you don't know why it is. Because I was yeah. thinking in your in your selection of topics, almost the 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 topics, the the subject material you were talking about. You were mm. talking about mariachi bands 
uh, and uh, Yoko Ono and the ice cream van, you know, that, that offer, mm. they're very, they seem, in retrospect maybe, they seem very James Acaster topics. You know, they're kind of whimsical, but they're mm. also grounded in some kind of mundanity or, or sort of shared experience. They're not, it's not unicorns and elves, you know, as, uh, as yeah, Co- Cochrane is fond of. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but, it, yeah. but it seems kind of gentle and we're like skywriting. Mm. Seems like a very Acaster thing. So presumably sometime in the, at some point in the creation of this, I just wanted to talk about that, that moment when almost like the, your filter for subject matter kicks in and you go, aha, that's something that could be me. Mm. So with the Yoko Ono one, for example, yeah. what, when, when did that kind of fall into your head? When did you go, there's something about that? I, was, I had the bit about the, uh, the band on the Titanic mm-hmm. and uh, I, was kind of, I started writing about music anyway and, like, uh, and um, forming a band and had the bit about the band in the Titanic being the most committed band because they never split up. Yeah. And they saw it right through to the end. And I knew that was funny because it was working on stage, but, like, I knew I had to go somewhere. Mm-hmm. And um, so I wanted to compare them to other bands who split up and I was, kind of, I was thinking about how other bands have split up and, and, okay. and what people are familiar with. And then it's like, the Beatles split up and everyone blames Yoko Ono. And then with that, it was just an instant thing of, like, that's something about Yoko Ono. Sure. Is something that I would want to hear about in the sure. show. Like, I, I, if, if a comic went on stage and went, so what about Yoko Ono? I'd be like, yeah. I'm on board for an hour. Yeah, okay. Like, it would be like, I would instantly like, I, I, I want to hear about because this. it's so because it seems so outdated, or and you're I attracted think, to it. Why? why I think it? it just uh, something about it's fun inherently funny, and, and also like. <laughs> It's not even a thing where I can instantly go, that is exactly why I think sure. that's funny. There's certain things that you want to hear about from certain comics, mm-hmm. okay. I think. And, and, uh, and like, there's some kind of like observational comedians who are like ev- everyman. If they bring up something that like, we all relate to, I'm instantly on board with that and I want to hear them talk about yeah. that. But if they then went into a really... If they then went, what about unicorns? I'd go, yeah. I don't want to hear you talk about this. I don't sure. care. Because you don't Whereas, buy their connection yeah. to it. You don't believe them. Whereas if yeah. Tony Law went, I just got off my unicorn on the way yeah. here, I'll be like, here we go. I'm listening to this for ages. Yeah. It's brilliant. Yeah. And it's just a different person saying it. And, and, uh, and it's that thing of kind of trying to develop what it is about you yeah. and going, that suits me or, or, or that doesn't, and, and trying to kind of figure out why. Sure. With Yoko Ono, I think it's... Everyone knows about her, so it's, so everyone knows who she is. Mm-hmm. But she's a little bit, uh, she's still a little bit quirky and a little bit like of a weird thing to bring up. Yes. Like if you were okay. at a dinner party, yeah. if I was at a dinner party, which would never happen. If I was at a dinner <laughs> party, and I went, yeah, because you know Yoko Ono, I'd expect one person at a dinner party to look at me like, why have you brought this up? Okay. <laughs> Even though everyone okay. knows who she is. So it's a shared experience enough that everyone knows what you're talking about, but at yeah. the same time, it's skewed. Yeah, at the same time, it's, it's yeah. a little bit of an odd thing to bring up. Sure. And it's funny that you're bringing it up in the first place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and it's that thing of, like, I think if, if you can, like, pick the subjects that people want to hear you talk about, yeah, that's almost half the battles, and they're on board. I, was, I remember watching Pulp Fiction for the first time, and there's a bit where the bit when Bruce Willis has been uh, captured in the, in the shop, yeah. Marcellus Wallace is getting bum-raped in the room, and he punches the gimp out, Gets up and he goes and he goes to. If you haven't seen Pulp Fiction, this is a massive spoiler. But uh, and he gets up, goes out the shop, and he goes to leave. Yeah. And he stops in the door. Sure. And he looks over his shoulder. And when he did, when I saw that for the first time, when he looked over his shoulder, I was like, 
yes, go back in and beat them up and kill them. That would yeah. be, br- that'd be brilliant if you did that right now. Yeah. And if at that moment in the film he went, no, and then walked away, I would have been gutted. Because okay. they'd gone, he, he could do this now, yeah. and he's not going to do it. Yeah. And I would have been, but as it was, he turned back into the shop, and I was on board for however long they wanted to do that for, yeah. and I would have watched it for ages. <laughs> I, like, you know, I was like, brilliant, this is going to happen. And so they'd already won me over. So for the next you know, 10 minutes of that film... I'm really happy. And I think a lot of the time with stand up, it's like going to them, I might go in this direction, and having everyone go, yep, on board. And then you go, right, brilliant. I can talk about Yoko yeah. Ono now for yeah. 10 minutes. Sure. And so it's, sure. Kind of, it's kind of that going, like, I might go here. It's just showing them that kind of. And having a thing. So you're, you're reading from them a sense of their, them wanting you to go there. Yeah, that, yeah. That governs your improvisation. Yeah, and it's making them want you to go there. Just going, like, just showing them <laughs> a picture of Yoko Ono. <laughs> Going, might go in this direction and hopefully yeah. they go yep and at the minute what's happening at gigs is I'm, I'm kind of going Yoko Ono and a few people uh, you see people like yep and then they go oh you're not taking us where we thought you were going because okay. yeah, it's not okay. there yet so because it's sure. not there it's like certain things are kind of working and it's kind of going but it's not at the minute it's like if Bruce Willis stopped in the door go, oh yeah and then he goes in and he goes back in the room and goes uh, can you guys leave him alone please this is out of yeah order. yeah sure and, and, and then <laughs> I'll be there like, oh, I wanted you to go back into the shop, but you've not delivered what I wanted to do. And now yeah. this is e- even more disappointing than if you just left the shop. Sure. So at, at the minute, at the minute, I'm going, I'm going to go in this direction. And then you can feel people go, yep. And then I go, no plan. This is not yeah. what you wanted from this. Yeah. So this, of course, is Sweet Little James. And uh, it, it's a joy to listen back to this. Uh, we've got loads. Of, I mean, I'm just so grateful to him for um, uh, for submitting himself to this insane concept that I had at the very beginning of my uh, career side, not a sidestep, a branch, a career branching into being not just a comic, but also a comedy adjacent thinker up of things trifles really but here we are um so this is from way back when more con compendium episodes coming out you can uh email me stuart at comedianscomedian.com or get in touch with me at stuart goldsmith comedy or indeed comcom pod on the various socials and um and let me know other people you would like to hear archivally re-released we've got some absolute corkers from you let's have some from a good while ago i asked in the facebook group and there were some great suggestions but some of them were from like last year so i think we can we can dip right back in the archive Keep the feed alive and awake and give me the opportunity to talk rubbish at you. Whilst I also, in the background, I should say, um, uh, I've got some new content. I'm doing an interview later today, but I won't say who until it comes out. Um, but I'm looking forward to that. So new stuff coming your way as well. We will get back ship shape in, in sort of February and onwards. But some com compendium releases for you here. I'll have to commit to that now because I've said it. Just to remind you, you can join the Insiders Club for uh, in extra content from every episode that has it. Back, of course, 10 years ago, the Insiders Club was a mere dream until someone three years into my uh, podcasting career tucked a, a, a note. Was it a was it a tenner? Was it more than a tenner? Maybe it was a tenner into my back pocket whilst I was having a wee at uh, a, a public urinal at the McCuncliffe Comedy Festival, which back then was a secret. So um, that kind of kick-started the, the beginning of the Insiders process. Of course, it would be insane now to to start a podcast without, like, built into the core of it to have some means of generating cash. But I think for the first three years or so, it was just me doing it for fun. And what a halcyon time that was. Um, you can join the Insiders Club, should you wish to support this venture, uh, at comedianscomedian.com slash insiders and at comedianscomedian.com and also at the homepage of stuartgoldsmith.com. About halfway down, you can see uh, the trailer for my new special. It's called I Need You Alive. It comes out 
on uh, it's, it's produced by 800 pound gorilla media and it was such a joy to record uh, Larry Dean and I taped ours together in Glasgow uh, at not ex- exactly the same time but kind of I think it was me him me him on the night and uh, his is being released soon as well but I'm not sure what he's doing with his I am putting mine on moment and you can go to uh, the website of your choice. Let's go to stuartgoldsmith.com because it's got slightly better graphics for the ad that I knocked up myself in 15 minutes. Thank you, Wix. Not a sponsorship. Um, and uh, you can go there and find the link to get to find out exactly what a moment is. You know, it's the sort of thing you could describe as a worldwide digital experience. Not a live stream, but a digital premiere of a brand new special um, my point is, I did this huge rollout. You may have been part of it uh, on across all the social media platforms, the mailing list, LinkedIn, everything. Um, and the, the the sheer volume of people who got in touch with me, bless them, bless you all, saying, I, I'm not an idiot, but what, what the fuck is this? <laughs> well, it's a digital premiere of my special, right? The special is composed of bits of the cut and shut, which was me in Edinburgh a few years ago, sticking together um, bits of end of, bits of primer, new bits, and that turned into this show, I Need You Alive. So if you've seen me live a few times, you will recognise some of the bits. Some of the bits will uh, take you quite by surprise. Um, and it is um, a simultaneous... Right, imagine a show that's happening online. Um, so, But it's not... It's pre-recorded, so it's like telly, but it only happens once, and you have to be there that once, because afterwards there's a live Q&A and an after-party you can get extra tickets for and stuff. And uh, it's it's very exciting and pioneering. So it's a DVD, but not a DVD that's on the Internet once. But if you buy it, if you can't make it, then you buy a ticket and your ticket gives you access for two weeks. So you can do that. Um, But it would be lovely to see you there and shift some units and make that feel like a big thing. I'm so, so proud of it. And a huge shout out. I will do an extended shout out later at some point. Plus, there are, of course, the credits at the end. Um, So many people were so useful, but particularly because we're dealing in the medium of the visual as I roll it out. Thank you so much to fabulous New Zealand artist uh, Jenny Stringleman, who has uh, who very kindly sort of gifted the copyright of one of her incredible paintings, uh, which uh, she allowed me to uh, massively expand and use as the backdrop. And it just by God, it pops. It was such a joke. When I first saw it, I nearly fell over on the day. It was great. Um, so I will do some social posting about that and direct you to her site. I think it's Miss... J- I'll, I'll put it in the show notes. All right. Um, so get stuck in. Go and do all that stuff, please. And let's get back to James A. Caster. No post-amble at this. Uh, at the end of this, this is a compendium episode. And next time it'll be slightly smoother blurb-wise. All right. Back to Jim and uh, have a lovely January. I will speak to you again soon. That's what it is a lot of the time, sure. is me taking these things really seriously and talking about them in a serious manner. Yeah. Uh, so where... they need to be fairly whimsical to begin with, so that you can take them too seriously. Yeah, so I can just yeah. absolutely crush the whimsy by being really serious about it. And just being like, <laughs> really like I'm going to be a skywriter, and like, you know, that's a serious passion of mine, and sure. talking about it. Um, but uh, with that, I kind of, yeah, had to sit down and, and I came up with the initial joke and then uh, tried that out. What I do a lot of the time is you kind of try and write a joke about it, like a short joke, go on stage and try it out, and if the short joke works, it green lights. Apparently, I see that as me being given the thumbs up to write five minutes on it instead of just... Yeah, okay. So I go, oh, great, I'll I'll do as much as I can with it now. And then with that short joke as, like, the door, opening the door to it. Yeah. Because, like, I think... I was talking to Phil Kay once, and he said that when he's improvising, if the audience laughs at something... 
he interprets that as them saying more, more of that, more of what you're talking about yes, now. Okay. And he gets really gutted when he sees comics do short bits of material because he thinks, oh no, talk about that more. Yes. So it's that thing of going, getting the short joke about it, they laugh, and then seeing that as them going, we will now tolerate you talking about skywriting for a lot longer. Sure. And, that, and like, that's very you, that's a very specific thing about the way you work, is you really get mountains of stuff out of any one particular topic. As just Just out of pure fear of writing a second show <laughs> and, and like and going I've got to write a show in a year and I can't go back to square one for every routine and try and think of a different subject but what I can do is write a short joke I've about something I've got four jokes and, and then go expand all and then, yeah, and then just go right, I'm going to write as much as I can about this now and hopefully that'll make that'll make up a show this fear is what <laughs> what motivates me most of the time <laughs> Is that to what to what extent is that true? Given that you, given that you're so confident and measured on stage in your delivery, is there an element of it that is that still frightens you? Mm, is it an element yeah. of, in the performance of it, or in the fear of being able to continually generate material over the course of your career? Are those yeah. still present for you? Those things? yeah, yeah, constantly, yeah, yeah. Afraid of the first time I ever died on stage and the worst horrific, the worst experiences I've ever, ever had, mm-hmm. and I. I I remember going home and taking it extremely personally mm. and um, being worried that those people would remember me for the rest of their lives as the idiot who just like, you know, how embarrassing was that when that guy did that? And I think that stayed with me to some degree. Of like, I, I just don't, I don't, you know, I don't like going on stage and having no one laugh at me. Of course. Uh, it, it's really embarrassing and <laughs> really horrible. Yeah. And so, like, because uh, I want to avoid that as much as possible, I just... Uh, also, I want to, you know, I really enjoy doing well, so there's that combined with it. My whole life isn't just, I hope the worst thing doesn't happen. <laughs> but, like, you know... But, yeah, you're kind of, like, motivated by both sides of things and you, you really want to... Also, you really want to, you know, create this exciting world that people want to come back and see and revisit. But, like, yeah, a lot of it is that I just want to kind of write, write as much as possible. I don't want to run out of stuff. I get very conscious of people coming to see me again, maybe, and mm-hmm. going, well, you did that last time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... And also, I want to get better. And I feel one of the main ways to get better is to constantly write and try and improve the material and get more out of it than you did with the last lot or do things with it that you couldn't have done with the last lot of material. And so just continually writing. Also, I need to fill the days somehow. (laughs) So, like, just writing in the day gives me something to do. Sure. Well, let's let's go back a couple of steps and look at how you started and we'll look at how the way you work now is is different or the same as as when you started. Mm. How did you... I mean, you were in bands originally. Was that your route into performing? I know you were... Yeah. Yeah, I was, I, was, I, was in a, I was in a band with my friend Graham, and um, that was the whole Classic band. Classic A-caster to yeah. be a band with a friend called Graham, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> of course, of course it was called Graham. And um, we, were, we were an experimental jazz pop band. Okay. And, um, what were uh, the results of the experiment? Uh, <laughs> disappointing. <laughs> um, we genuinely, and I feel embarrassed when I say this now, in a way, but like I'm not, I shouldn't be. But at the time, we genuinely wanted... To, our ambition was to be the, uh, one of the best bands ever. It was, okay. just genu- it was a, a genuine aim, because we didn't see the point otherwise. We're like, there's no... Po- why, why would we be in a band to just be another band? Like, sure. There's no point. So let's, go, let's try and be one of the best bands ever. And we thought we could realistically invent a new style of music okay. so uh, that's what we wanted to do now I know <laughs> right now that sounds very naive but uh, I was very naive <laughs> and um, 
so we worked really hard. We tried to make it, like, and then we, we, we thought it would be. So, we, we thought it was going to be received amazingly well. Mm-hmm. Um, before our first gig, we felt like before walking on stage, this is a historical night, and this is going to be. Everyone's going to talk about this, and it's going to be amazing. And uh, we went out, and uh, it's got a very lukewarm response, and sure. then came off, and everyone was like, "What was that song?" And I, was, I was like, "Oh, okay." And we carried on, and it never really picked up. We did it for like five years, and we really loved it. But like, you know, the seven people we performed to a night weren't really mm. into it. And uh, eventually, like, he was like, "I just, I just want to stop doing this," and I. I'd put so much into it mm. and so much like, oh, this is going to be... I'd had such lofty ideas for it that when it stopped, I was like, I don't want to form another band. I don't want to do this again. This is too... I've, okay. I've, I've, and so instead of you going... You want to go through the process again of having yeah, to create a new thing with something Yeah, I don't want to form this and invest so much emotionally in it. Mm. Uh, and like, I guess it's like, if you, I don't know, if you, if you come out of a really intense relationship and you love the person, you don't want to instantly fall in love again. Sure. You'd rather shag about for a bit, I don't know. But like, so with me, comedy was shagging about and it was just, okay. it was just like, that'll be, a, I'll just do that for a thrill. Yeah. Because okay. like, I've never, you know, so that'll be like, if you're going on stage and like trying to do that and if it goes badly and stuff, I can always tell people when I grow up, yeah, I, I did stand up once. Yes, okay. And then I just, instantly just really enjoyed it and I didn't even want to do it it wasn't really like oh I want to do this for a living or this is going to be like because when I was in a band I was thinking about like you know our 10th album and all this and really (laughs) far down the line of here's all the things I'm going to do and with this I was I had no plan I wasn't thinking at all into the future because I didn't want to do that anymore Mm -hmm. and so I just enjoyed it so I carried on doing it and then I carried on doing it when I wasn't enjoying it as well because I was I was bored Sure. Sitting at home doing nothing. So I would. I lived in Kettering still, and I'd get the train to London for twenty five quid to die on my ass for five minutes, mm-hmm. and then come home again. And I didn't even. I, was, I, was, I remember being on the train on so many journeys home, just going, "Why am I? Why am I putting myself through? I don't even like this. Yeah. Like, I, I, I hated all those people in that pub tonight. I don't. I just felt really. Oh, this isn't as good as the band. The band was the best band ever, and this isn't. <laughs> this isn't. I'm not the best comedian ever. So why am I doing this? I, I, I was in the best band ever, and I, and I fucked it up. And well, now I'm in this. And I, and I was like, why are you doing it? But there's something about it. Every time I did a gig, I wanted to instantly do a gig again mm-hmm. afterwards, even if it went really badly. And it took me six months to get a routine I liked. Mm. So I went to Edinburgh. I wasn't going to go to it. I didn't know that the Edinburgh Festival was such a big deal. So important. I didn't. I didn't really know anything about it. And someone I worked with at a kitchen said, uh, "I've got a megabus ticket to Edinburgh. It's two quid. Uh, do you want to go?" It was like the day before Edinburgh started. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I was like, "Why would I want to go to Edinburgh?" And they said, "Because it's the big. You said you had started doing comedy. It's a big comedy festival there." So I was like, "Oh, okay then." And, and I, I looked in the accommodation. Of course, the day before, you did nothing. <laughs> So I borrowed my friend's tent and uh, had a 12-hour bus journey and then camped for two weeks. In um, uh, The site was like a bowl and it was raining for two weeks constantly. So my tent instantly flooded and, and I was going around doing open spots and um, I didn't really know anyone. Like I think Helm and Widdicombe were my only friends. <laughs> and, uh, and that was it. I was sleeping on their floors for a lot of it, and then back to the tent. And like, and but while I was there doing like, I just eventually got a routine I liked. Mm-hmm. Um, 
that I actually thought was good and it was, it was one of the ones where I'd, I'd never dared do it because I thought no one will get this it's a really specific to me it's about my uh, me being petty and no one will get that okay. and I did it and it worked and it was the first one that worked and the first one that made me start thinking why does that work all the time okay. and everything else is so kind of like unreliable and then started building and then as soon as I started building on that I was like actually I want to carry on doing this for a long sure. time but it took me six months to eventually go yeah I mean, it sounds like you brought yourself to comedy in the way you're describing it, like with no expectations, with no concept of the Edinburgh Festival, with no concept Mm. of it as a career. Do you think that might have been really useful to you in in your ability to go out and try and fail and actually just do it for the sake of doing it for yourself and for the sake of pleasing yourself rather than trying to fit into some imagined mould? Maybe at at the beginning it was because a lot of my gigs I just improvise Mm. and just go on and and I I thought that's genuinely what stand-ups did because I didn't know, you know, I didn't know they actually went away and wrote stuff. And especially when, like, my first few gigs went really well and then I'd watch acts go up with written stuff and not do well and in my head I'd be really laughing going they've written this and I just made this stuff up I'm brilliant and I'd be really like ha 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 the darker side of James yeah, yeah, yeah. really really laughing and thinking ah brilliant and then I got a deserved horrific death mm-hmm. uh, and then started and then I started watching I went doing a gig with Mike Wozniak and thinking he was brilliant and going that is clearly written like he's really mm-hmm. written that and actually I've enjoyed that a lot more then uh, you know I would ever enjoy watching what I'm doing now, sure. and then realise I've got to start writing stuff properly. But like, yeah, I was very much learning as I was going. I didn't know anything about the uh, early gig with uh, with um, uh, Kitson was the headliner, and uh, I said to someone, "Is he off for Phoenix Nights?" Yeah, and uh, <laughs> everyone in the dressing room looked at me like I was this like, absolute idiot. So I, was, I was like, "Yeah, guys, off Phoenix Nights, isn't he?" And they were like, "You might want to not say that to his face." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was like, it's good. Good, good, good. It's good TV program. But, um, so, yeah. so in terms of the writing that you then started to do, mm. what was your technique there? Were you carrying a notebook? Did you have some idea of how comedians write, or were you sort of navigating? I had no idea. I had a notebook. I was writing all the time in it but I didn't know how other comics wrote stuff mm. I didn't know how to write jokes I learned everything really late on as well mm. like, I don't think I learned to properly write jokes until I went on tour with Milton uh, yes. and then was like forced to write short jokes in front of his audience but like, <laughs> I just know, was, it was brief, like briefly pictured him forcing you to write short yeah. jokes in front of his audience <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah literally. just something to break up the one liners now come here James <laughs> yeah yeah in character yeah um, but, but <laughs> Yeah, so like, but I, yeah, I was just really. I used to just write down loads of stories, things that happened to me, and I was really strict at the beginning that everything's got to be true. And it's okay. all got. To, it's all got to have happened to you because you don't want to be selling the audience short and uh, cheating okay. them. It's what I saw it as. Like if, if if you lie to them and you tell them stuff you've made up in your head, then that is that you're being dishonest sure. and they're going to get angry about that your feelings on that now? Uh, they can go fuck themselves because <laughs> no, well, with that now I just go I, they'd rather laugh like that's I, I had a routine yeah. one night I was uh, I basically missed my train home from Basingstoke after a gig and I ended up having a sleep in a bush um, and uh and my, my phone was dead and I didn't have any money. I was in a bush and I'd, uh, I'd, been, uh, I'd been shopping that day for a short film I'd been working on. I'd bought the actress in the film a red dress for the film. And uh, it was a hot day. I had a T-shirt and jeans on. And at night it was freezing and I had nothing to wear. So I put the dress on and was sitting in a, 
in a bush wearing a red dress in Basingstoke at, at three in the morning. And two people stopped outside the bush and discussed... Uh, two guys were discussing how they hadn't beaten anyone up in a while. And wouldn't it be great if they could find someone and kick the shit out of them? And I was sitting at their feet going, if they look down, it's going to be Christmas. Like, they can't, <laughs> can't hack this. And, um, and when that happened... I obviously was like, brilliant, because I'm a, I'm a new comic. I'm trying to write stuff that's actually, actually happened to me. Yep. That was an awful night. That's, I told it to people at work the next day, and they were like, that's hilarious. I was like, right, I'm doing this in clubs. I'm, I'm going to do it at gigs. And I started telling it at gigs, and as soon as I said I put the red dress on, in a comedy club situation, you could see the audience go, bollocks. Yeah, okay. You, you didn't do that. No that's, one that's, would do that. That's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. And then I was like, well, and I got really annoyed. I was like, but that's true. Like, I'm telling you the truth. I'm yeah. not a liar. I'm telling you it, and you guys aren't believing me. And then I realised, actually, they, they don't care if it's true or not. Mm-hmm. They just, they, they kind of care. If, if they believe it's true, and they choose to buy into it, mm-hmm. that's great. And if they know it's not true and they can just go along with the joke and laugh about it, that's great. But if they suspect that you're trying to sell them a truth and it's not, that's, when, that's the only time they get annoyed. Yeah. Like, if they think you're going, this actually happened and it blatantly didn't, that's when it's... So I was like, actually, I don't, I don't need to tell them the truth all the time. Plus, at the time I was like, I'm 23, nothing much has happened to me. Yeah. So I don't know why I'm trying to like go, here's my amazing life, like I'm like 50, and like I've had loads of experiences. I've had very little. I'm just sitting around hoping something bad happens to me all the time. Yeah. And like, I can't live like that. And like, actually, wouldn't it be better if I learned how to use my imagination and I could write more stuff? And like, you know, and so that's, that was the thing I was like, I'm not telling them the truth anymore. I'd rather they just laughed. And like, mm-hmm. some stuff's true and some stuff isn't. But ultimately, I just want them to like at least believe the world that I've created and enter into that world and go, "Well, this is reality now. This is this is the world that's apparently sure. acceptable," and uh, go along with that and laugh at it rather than going like, "Is he telling us the truth or not?" Sure. Although people still get annoyed if they think you're not <laughs> about ridiculous things. Did you feel like? Uh, you were influenced by people around you. Had people ever said to you, "Do you know what you should do?" Or you know, well, you know, sometimes mm. you'll do a bit, and then afterwards, someone, another comic, will say to you, "Oh, you were really funny then when you were doing this particular thing." Um, not as much. No, it, it's more like um, I, I'd see, like seeing Wozniak and going, "That is, I, I enjoy watching that." Mm. more than me and so I'd rather do something that is because, but I rarely had people come up to me and go sometimes they would and go that bit was really funny mm. but a lot of the time I'm such a, I'm so like such a sulky little bastard that if I if I do if I do a bit say I've done a whole set of stuff that like um, I've planned and it's written mm. and then something happens in the audience and it triggers a story that's actually happened to me and you tell that and it goes better than everything else mm-hmm. and then another comic comes up to you and go that story's brilliant I just think Go fuck off because <laughs> I didn't work on that and I've not, yeah. I have not. I just get really grumpy about it for, yeah. for, no, for no real good <laughs> reason because like it, suddenly you've changed persona you don't want to do that but like it's more no I found more it's like with, with Milton it was because I was every night performing in front of his audience mm-hmm. and I suddenly found I couldn't do long bits that didn't have good enough payoffs. Sure. And so I was forced to make sure everything had a punchline that was funny enough to warrant them listening to me for that mm-hmm. long. Um, I, I didn't like to try and do one-liners because then you become 
a poor version of Milton. Sure. And that really riles them up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I found still doing long routines was good, but I had to make sure all the punchlines were strong enough. Whereas before that, I'd been on tour with Josie, and that was really good for um, making me experiment a bit more, because her audience would, if they thought you were being a bit too safe, sure. they'd switch off. And yeah, so okay. you go, okay, I've got to kind of show that I'm being a bit more daring. Sure. And then so the two were kind of... It's, but it wasn't even at no point did either Milton or Josie turn to me and go, "You should do more of this." No, sure. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com It's amazing how everything seems so much more important when you start. I remember like, on the open mic circuit, getting your first review on Chortle yeah. seemed amazing. And now I couldn't care less. Yeah. But, like, but, that's, but that's everyone, I think. I mean, that's, that's everyone. But like, at the time, you're like, oh, he's going to write something about me. And you take it to heart so much at the beginning. Yes, definitely. And yeah. obviously, when you're starting out, you kind of, you go, if they compare you to someone, yeah. um, most of the time as a new act, you take it quite badly because you're like, oh no, I'm just a rip off of this person. Mm-hmm. And then I saw quite a lot of acts when I was starting out get compared to someone and then just go so much in the opposite direction because yeah. they were like no I'm not like that I'm yeah. going to be absolutely different now I'm going to do my own thing and then they actually lost what made them funny a lot of the time because like actually you're okay to cross over a bit sure you're, certainly you know, in, the, in the first few years of yeah. you finding your feet it's completely fine to be a little bit similar to someone yeah. else if, if that because further on down the line you're going to be a richer version of that and, yeah. it, and it'll, it'll diverge more it's just like you've just got the first little few ingredients mm. to it and it might happen to be you know, deadpan or whatever or, or you know, high, high energy mm. and it seems like other comics but you'll add more stuff to that and it'll mask it and it'll get bigger mm. and if that is how you're getting your laughs and people are laughing at that part of you then it does suit you mm. And it's allowed to suit you and someone else. It's fine. Yeah. They, they've just been yeah. going for 20 years. You've been going for five months. Sure. You know, so you don't have to be, you know, yeah. <laughs> straight away out the gate, like no one we've ever seen. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. it's not going to not um, happen. Let, we're sort of, we're steering into talking about persona here. And something I, I've always uh, found uh, interesting about you, uh, the difference between you on and off stage, is that on stage, I can't imagine you swearing on stage. And yet, off stage, there's a bit more kind of you can be mm. you can be meaner, you know, than your than your than your on stage persona would allow. Do you know what I mean? You fuck off, Stu. Yeah, there we go. Class, yeah. yeah. Um, do, do, do you yeah. see what I mean? Is yeah. there, do you ever find? I mean, I haven't seen you do anything on stage which had a kind of uh, an overt target. Do you know what I mean? Or something that you were angry with? Do you know what I mean? You, yeah, well, I mean, the, the bits, the routines that are do come from things that I'm angry about. Mm-hmm. And what I noticed for the first few years, and probably still now a lot of the time, is that uh, people come off very bad in my routines. Other people... <laughs> yeah, OK. If, if I was writing about a thing that I liked, then it was fine, and it was quite nice, and like, oh, I love this thing, it's great. Anything with a person in it, mm-hmm. the person would be an idiot, and I and I secretly yeah, hate Yeah, okay. So it always showed people in a bad light all the time. It probably still, I probably still do that quite a bit. But like, um, there's a lot of things that come from annoyance. But I just mastered. Like, I got a routine about someone who cheated on his girlfriend, mm-hmm. 
Uh, and I definitely don't like that guy. Yeah. And But instead of like the whole routine being me going, you shouldn't cheat on your girlfriend, I think that's disgusting, and like sure. really getting angry about him, I chose to focus on orchards for the whole routine. <laughs> and like, I, I talk about that. Um, because it's like, I think everyone's like, almost takes it as a given, I don't like that person, I am angry about yeah. it. Um, and almost, it's almost like I can't really, I'm not very good at confrontation normally, in life anyway mm-hmm. and I think it kind of bleeds into your comedy persona that if, if my persona is annoyed at something you can't actually handle it head on and has to go into this other world yes okay of going oh, you wouldn't bring an apple to an orchard and talk, uh, yeah. talk about apples for ages because you can't actually so it, hack talking about how much he hates this yeah person. so it kind of gives it taking it into those areas gives it an outlet gives your yeah. your natural kind of yeah. you know anger or those kind of more negative feelings it gives it yeah. an outlet to it and, and again something is it suits you better to be like that on stage it, mm. it suits me better to be focusing on a silly little throwaway comment that you said mm. and getting carried away with that and seeing that as a way of bringing him down because again it's just because it's, it's very easy to uh, prove why someone who cheated on his girlfriend is a bit of a scumbag. Sure. And the fact that I take the longest way round to do that yeah. just makes it hopefully funnier. Sure. But uh, I, don't, I don't just go, dealt with in like one sentence. <laughs> Instead it's like, well, I'm going to talk about orchards for ages and this is my, and my, my comedy persona's way of dealing with it. It's getting mm-hmm. way too pedantic and petty about mm-hmm. little things, even when it's quite a straightforward sure. uh, issue. But, I mean, that, but that routine you know, was born out of being on a weekend away, someone doing that, and me being furious about it mm. and me going home and being like, I hate that guy. And he made me feel like I was his friend. And then he acted like that that night and that was horrible. Mm. Mm. And wanting to write about it, but knowing that I couldn't go on stage and just go, here's what happened and get really angry. Sure. And knowing that when he said to me, you know, you, well, you wouldn't bring an apple to an orchard, that was the bit that was funny. And that was, uh, yeah. just <laughs> hearing the word orchard, you know, yeah, that, suits, that suits me. Yeah, 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 it does, absolutely. Orchard, that's the kind of thing I'd waffle on about. Thanks very much. But yeah, there's that. I kind of try and bury the anger mm-hmm. amongst the, you know, the, like below things. But like, you know, that whole mariachi bit earlier, mm-hmm. which is ridiculous, is genuinely about when I was at school and I was into Nirvana and no one else liked them and uh, they would just, you know, take the mick all the time. And everyone else liked pop music and me and my friends were into, like, uh, yeah, grunge. And uh, we'd get taking the mick out of all the time. Okay. And I don't think me going on stage and talking about that part of my life is very funny, but I think pretending that I was into mariachi music makes it funny. Sure. Okay, okay, absolutely. So sometimes it's like you take what you were annoyed about and yeah. then you change it into... Is, is that something you discovered later about that material? Did you find yourself going, oh, God, this is about the Nirvana stuff? Or did you start going, do you know what really annoyed me was that when I was... No, that was, that was like while I was doing it. I was kind of like, was talking... I, kind of, I, I started just talking about the history of mariachi music, which was all made <laughs> up. Because you heard mariachi and went, that's me. Yeah, yeah. yeah I okay, kind of like, yeah. uh, heard that song, uh, the da 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 song, and... Um, for oh yeah, this would be funny. <laughs> but like, so talk, and then kind of just started to talk about how I, I thought it'd be funny if I loved one song, 
and I hated the other one, even though they're basically so similar that no one could, no one could have that strong of an emotion about yeah, them. Sure. And uh, <laughs> to be really unreasonable about such a, again such a small thing that no one should care about whatsoever, mm-hmm. and I really care about it, and I'm totally pushing it on the audience sure. and make it, making them all take it seriously. And like half the amusement as well for those routines when you're doing them is to see someone in the audience who's looking at you and taking it at face value. It's hilarious. <laughs> One of my favourite things is seeing someone genuinely looking at me going, I don't know why you care so much about mariachi music, mate. This yeah. is and not getting the fact that the you know, part of the joke is that this is stupid. Like, this yeah. is a, I, I yeah. am an idiot and you, I'm being completely unreasonable. Do you have any tactics, do you have any gear changes you can do on stage if you feel too many people are going that way? Like maybe if you're not into the stuff you're doing on tour, but when you're making newer stuff, mm. can you... I mean, that must be difficult if you're pushing down that that highway of going it's totally reasonable for me to think this obviously (laughs) stupid thing yeah if people aren't getting it can you change gear can you no Um, (laughs) I I, I, I should do but like what what I tend to do is kind of like I'll I'll, I'll maybe stop and reference how they're feeling about it okay because with any luck that'll make them go oh, we're not meant to be taking him seriously. And then the next routine might go a bit better. And normally that way, if if I say, you know, a lot of you are looking at me and thinking, why does he care so much about mariachi music? Hopefully that's a And and then you can see a few of them going, oh, yeah, we probably shouldn't be thinking that. (laughs) But, like, it doesn't mean they're then going to go, right, on board now. But, like, you know, it at least means I'm kind of flagging up to them. And I I don't like to do that. Mm -hmm. I don't like to take the mask off and go... It's not really, not really like that. No, I'm really mean. Uh, <laughs> then put the mask on and carry on doing the routine. But okay. like, uh, sometimes you go, well, this is their night out, and at the minute, I'm really kind of ruining it. So maybe I'll, <laughs> I'll let them all know that I'm in on the joke. Sure. So that they kind of maybe feel a bit more comfortable. But um, normally at that point, I just. Uh, switch to cheese grater and uh, we're just literally in five years of comedy my only banker (laughs) (laughs) one routine let's talk about the decisions you made tonight say when you were ordering the set that you gave Mm. us when you were making notes beforehand what sorts of decisions do you make about when to put certain things in the set or or when you're doing a club 20 which which material goes where and what are the decisions behind those yeah it's different for different you know depending on what the room's like tonight because it's a nice comedy savvy audience uh, I chose to there you go guys Uh, don't hate you you as much as you thought I did Um, (laughs) but I I, you know I I just kind of the the order of this material at the minute because it's all quite new and I'm putting it together Mm -hmm. I'm just trying to find the links between them and going so I talk about Oaxaca and then so I go right that's Mexican food I can link it into Mexican music and just so that's the only thing that's happening at the minute sure. or you're kind of going I'm just going to do all the new stuff and I'll link it together the best I can and then sometimes you just go there's no link between these so I'll pause for a bit longer and then I'll go lean on the mic I want to be a skywriter yeah, yeah. And then, like, that'll, that'll be that but um, if I'm doing like a yeah like a club or something on a weekend uh, I, I go right cheese graters in now I've got to think of 25 more minutes uh, <laughs> or 15 or whatever but uh, no you said that, that kind of goes and you kind of just put the routines in that work best in that environment mm-hmm. uh, and uh, yeah kind of put it together like that and, and in, in a proper like it depends what the club's like obviously but if it's like a real weekend stags and hens and stuff like that um, 
uh, I am living on a prayer. Uh, but I, 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 I offer, I just go, here's the, the, the stuff that works the most, yeah. is the most accessible. And uh, I'll often put that, uh, it's so, so stupid saying cheese grater so many times. <laughs> like, uh, who knew my life would turn into that? We're going, like, you know, obviously the cheese grater is a, <laughs> is a classic. But. Um, I have to put that near the beginning mm-hmm. and then end on a routine about top and tailing uh, and, then, and then everything else in between so I've got like, stuff about a surprise party and that'll normally mm-hmm. be the, the 20 it's kind of that stuff it's all kind of quite it's gag heavy and also most people can relate to it Yeah, I wouldn't well, at the minute I wouldn't put any of this stuff into a club set because okay. even if I like, join it tonight for that, there's a certain in the same way that you can show um, an audience uh, subject matter and they'll go, yep, we're on board. There are certain rooms, like if it's Stags and Hens, if I go, here's mariachi music, they'll all go, no. Yeah, and that, that, doesn't, no. that doesn't represent whether or not that bit's got legs, it just represents that now in this room it's not. They don't want to hear about that. And yeah. like, I don't, you know, I, I wouldn't go to a party and start talking to someone who I've got very little in common with sure. and just bring up my favourite band that they don't know and go, I yeah. want to talk about this because uh, this is all about me. That's a really good analogy. And so you're, yeah. kind of, you're kind of there on stage going, I know none of you want to hear about this, so I'm not going to do it just so I can go off and go, I'm an artist. And then, yeah, yeah, okay. like, you, know, you did that for five years with the band. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. fucking hell. <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> I always think back to the band and think back to doing a gig at, I did a gig at a working men's club it's a Friday night and there's loads of really old guys in having a pint at the end of their working week and the football was on and me and Graham were setting up in the corner <laughs> and the song we used to open on involved Graham getting on the drums and I would be at the front we used to wear these homemade outfits <laughs> that my friend's mum made us we'd have like black trousers on a grey shirt with a black collar ripped out of a shirt and sewed into that shirt <laughs> and a yellow velcro tie that stuck onto the t-shirt <laughs> and I had that and the opening song to our set I had a loop station playing a Caribbean loop and I had a, um, like a voodoo shaman shaker with like pine nuts on it <laughs> And I'll just start the loop and announce and just walk, run around shaking it <laughs> with, no, uh, with no shoes on because you couldn't operate the pedals with the shoes on. So I was missing my socks. I remember doing that gig and just starting that and shaking it and this old man looking at me so disappointed that I just ruined his night and thinking to myself, this is a bit selfish. Yeah. Like, this, is, this is just important ruining this man's night. And so, like, you know, I try not to do that. If I'm in a club and they're there for that, I just try and do my best. I do what they, you know, sure. st- stuff that I've got that they would like. And I, I don't I instantly go into like, well, I'm going to do, you know, 10 minutes about bread because mm-hmm. they don't want to hear that. And so it's that thing of like choosing it for them as much as I can, but like, you know, and, uh, and, and the order being like, yeah, the kind of like quite simple order that everyone kind of tends to do of like, you know, strong, mm-hmm. one of your strongest bits at the beginning, one of your strongest bits at the end. And they just hope that they don't... I mean, I'm best off in the middle in a club. Yeah. If I open, it's too weird for them out the gate. Okay. I'm not okay. a real, I don't think I'm a really weird comic. No. But, like... Someone, <laughs> slightly awkward laughter there. In the so, someone there went... <laughs> you are weird. Yeah. <laughs> a really weird guy. But, like... I don't think I am. But, like, I kind of go on at the top, and it's 
if they are stags and hens, they don't want to. They don't want that straight. They want sure, something sure. familiar. You know, I absolutely love comics who just go out and just do dirty stuff straight at the start of a mm-hmm. club set uh, of a club night. So good, he just gets, gets, he just gets it. With people who've never been to comedy before, it gets it out the way. Yeah, almost okay. like there you okay. go. There's this stuff, and like often, obviously, it's really funny as well. It's not like that stuff's not good, but like I can't uh, get away with that kind of stuff. I can't sure. write it, so I'm not the person to do that. But it's good if someone who can do that goes out, does it, and then when I go on, they're not there going, "I hope we hear about a cock soon," <laughs> because like they've already heard about cocks, and so they're not. Even if they're still expecting that, it means it's more of a surprise and they yeah. like you more yeah, yeah. and they're more into comedy by that point. It's like, oh, okay, this is, and they'll accept you. Whereas when I go, when I go, this is, if any promoters are listening to this, do still book me to open. <laughs> but like, um, sometimes we're going first in a proper, like, you know, club club, mm-hmm. they, they can get a little bit. Mm. Um, do you have any, do you have this? particular strategies that, as someone with a, an, a like maybe quite a gentle act, not mm. in terms of the, the punchline density, but, you know, the subject matter, do you have strategies particular to you for dealing with hecklers? Do you have any kind of, do you like to improvise when you get heckled? Do mm. you have, do you have your own stock of like, this is in my back pocket, this is a. No, I, got, I just kind of try and not break persona, that's the most important thing. Okay. Because as you say, off stage, I'm a bit meaner. Sure. And if, <laughs> when they heckle, I break persona, I have messed up so many gigs for myself by going, yeah. going on and starting going, so, uh, and so, talking about apricots. Yeah. And then, some, and then, then someone goes, boring. I go, you shut your fucking mouth, you cunt. <laughs> and then. And then it just like, and then you, and then that's dealt with. And you go, see, I bought some apricots the other day, you know. Yeah. Uh, and then, and then it was just like, who's this guy? You're, like, you're not, you're not this guy. You just yeah. that guy. Even if it, if it goes well, if the put down goes well, it's even worse because like you do, you do now it. You set that bar that that's now, what they want. That's what they yeah. want. Or, yeah. or they, they applaud that, and then you go back into that, and they're like, oh, hold on. And and so I've completely ruined it for myself. Mm. And so I have to. If they heckle me, I've got to stay in persona. Sure. And so if they, if they went bored, I got heckled with boring <laughs> once. Uh, it was well. Uh, it was, uh, I feel like this is dropping in a a, a, a name, but I was um I was in the Hammersmith Apollo, uh, and. Um, <laughs> And yeah, it was, I wasn't headlining, uh, obviously. But uh, it'd be going all right, and there's someone literally from the back just went, bit boring. Uh, and um, oh, it's devastating. Just a bit, it's only a bit boring as well. That's really, boring, not even, they've really thought about exactly how boring yeah, it is. Yeah. They've, they've, they've increments, yeah, right. Enough to make me so bored that I'm heckling at the Apollo. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even care. Anyway, a bit boring. And. Uh, I just wanted to go, mate. You can go fuck yourself. I hate you. And like, I'm, I'm like, but instead, I deliberately made the story I was telling more boring, <laughs> and so just added in details that didn't need to be there, <laughs> and just really drew and made it obvious that's what I was doing, and right. I, and that was a lot that suited me a lot better. Sure. Uh, and it annoys me that I can maybe do something like that one night, and then another night. I just unlearn it. It's always yeah. like I never seem to learn a lesson. I can do that that night, and then the next week someone goes, a bit boring, I go, why don't you go and fuck your mum? You can, and I just, <laughs> then just like ruin it. And it's just like, it's, but it's annoying. I'd really like to just learn. I think sometimes it's because you're, if you're angry anyway, although if you're angry, when I used to work at a school in the daytime, and I was getting like no sleep. 
I was, I was doing school. I had to get up at six. Uh, go to this is a special needs school uh, with like mainly everyone was autistic apart from the one kid who I was put with who had like emotional behavioural difficulties mm-hmm. and was uh, really difficult to work with and he'd call me a cunt all day and uh, tell me to do unspeakable things for my dead relatives really awful kid like horrible and uh, you can't give him a rise because if you do then you completely undo any good work anyone's ever done with him. So you have to just like take it all and, and just building up fuck yous all day. Like yeah. just building them up. And then go to a gig in the yeah. evening and then someone goes, Ginger! You walk on stage and you just... And, and you know I can't go into this. Yeah. If I turn to this guy now, I'm going to suddenly unleash everything <laughs> on them. And that's not fair. It's going to ruin the gig. And so I would have to just completely blank those people. But which meant during those nine months, I had quite a few gigs where a heckler would heckle. I'd ignore them and not even address it at all. And then they'd just heckle again. And it got to the point where the audience were policing themselves mm. and like having a go at hecklers and going, will you shut up? I thought like that. And I was just having to ignore that as well because I was like, oh. I'm too wound up. To, I can't deal with all this. And I was just like, I, was, I knew I was too angry that if I went into it, I was going to make it personal. That I actually wasn't in a good enough mood to mm. go... Uh-huh, ginger, huh? And I'd be yeah, all right. Yeah, sure. I was just going to go like sure. a bit, bit too personal with them. So like, yeah, I had to kind of not go into it. If, if I'm actually genuinely in a bad mood, I try not to go into hecklers at all. Just let the gig go awfully. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. That is that's a strategy. I think if you let it wound the gig slightly, then people do. Oh, oh it's not because some people yeah. do labour under the misapprehension, don't they? That it helps to heckle. Yeah, yeah. You know, nice. hey, I'll help you out there. You know, and that's it's... the worst thing when you, when they heckle because they think they're helping, mm. and then you deal with it, mm-hmm. and everyone applauds as a way of telling that person to shut up because in their head. They go, I was helping. That applause confirms I was helping. Yeah. And I know I'm going to do it again. Yeah. And, and, and that's just the whole set. And then at the end, they come up to you and they want to be your best friend and go, yeah. me and you, pretty good? You know, yeah. well, not really. Yeah. Not really. I really don't like you. So while we're on, uh, while we're on some of the uh, more the less positive aspects of the comedy circuit. Mm. I mean, we've talked in the past about um, uh, you know, lots of different acts that we've seen, acts that have inspired us and mm. other acts that we might find frustrating. What, what sorts of things do you see... Come on, let's open the box, Here James. What? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure about oh, where this is going, Stu. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, what sort of things do you see that frustrate you amongst, in, you know, in comedy at the moment? I think all comics have stuff that, they, that little pet hates and things that mm-hmm. they don't like and that frustrates them and stuff. I think really, the only time like, I watch a, I'll be watching a comedian and getting frustrated is when I think what they're doing doesn't, um, doesn't work with who they are or something like that. And you kind of, mm. even when, like, I, was, I was watching just some uh, comedy before it came out on, on Netflix. I watched uh, Aziz Ansari, mm-hmm. so I really like, uh, really like him in Parks, Parks and, and Rec and stuff. Yeah. For, and um, I liked all of his material in the stand-up, but he was just machine-gunning it at them, like selling it mm. so much that everything was getting an applause, everything was, and I didn't mm. feel connected to it at all. And I, was, I, was like, and I thought, I don't really see, think that suits you. I'd rather hear you talk a bit slower and not attack him so much, whereas like, obviously there are other acts who really go at the audience and do everything 100 miles an hour, and I think it's great. So a lot of the time it's just when I just feel like the person's not being genuine or whatever not being yeah uh yeah look i've just not 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 giving us their best and that kind of thing kind of, i don't think this is uh this is really who you are or whatever but i, I wouldn't say i get angry at that i probably, probably get angry 
Oh, okay. Here's, here's something that's... Uh, <laughs> okay. Um, when comics try and appear deep... Yeah. That, I hate it. <laughs> but, like, you know, when, if there's a bit where, like, they're, they're joking, and, joking around and then at some point we'll, like... Not even in an Edinburgh show. Not, not like, you know, classic end of an Edinburgh show thing, but you know, if yeah. at some point they try and say something profound... Yes, um, yes. A lot of the time that can annoy me only because often that profound thing these days isn't... It's not like you go, oh, no, I never thought of it like that. Yeah, A lot of the yeah, time it's like, yeah, we're all fully aware. It's often like, you know, all it's cliches or speaking... Like that, and yeah, it's yeah, not yeah, really... Yeah. You know, I don't think you've really... Thought, I don't think, again, I don't think this is you. I think you're saying a generic thing about whatever, relationships or love... Mm-hmm. And trying to be like really deep about it, but actually just putting together a load of things we're told as kids, or yeah. it's very basic, like Sesame Street. <laughs> See, the thing is, I've, I've always thought that racism is pretty bad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'd much rather hear a comic go, go on stage, go, I love racism. Yeah, <laughs> and then at least I'm like, well, I'm listening to this. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Seeing what this guy is going to say. <laughs> You know, even if I don't agree with them, uh, which are obviously uh, with that statement, I wouldn't. <laughs> but, but like you know, people just going, you know, it's it's, it's bad, and you're like, yeah, yeah. I, know, I know it is, and you, you're not the person to teach me that. Sure, you're, you're a comic, and I was came here to laugh primarily, and not to be, uh, you know, patronised. Um, so yeah, sometimes that can, yeah, okay. if I feel that someone's trying to, you know. Be quiet and go, yeah, in that moment I realised. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't care what you realised in, in that moment. In this moment I realised I've come to the wrong show. Sure. Like, this is like, this is, but like, you know, so sometimes stuff like that. But then, but then the thing is, I say that and I'll, I'll get really like, oh, I hate this. But then it can still be done really well. Yeah. So I went to see Richard Herring's show about love mm-hmm. and there was loads of bits in it that were exactly those kind of techniques, maybe, mm-hmm. but it was done amazingly well, and it was really, uh, it was really good, and it was moving, and I enjoyed that. And I think half the time, like the difference between him or a comic who does that, and I don't like it, is that with him, he's definitely written that in the same way um, someone like McIntyre would write an observation sure. and go, "Does everyone relate to this? Am I going to properly sum up how everyone feels so that they feel connected to this and they laugh?" And that's why Kitson's so good at it as well. And, and, and it's that thing of like, actually approaching an emotional sad thing the same way you approach a funny thing that everyone connects with. You can all relate to this. Mm-hmm. You're actually connecting with this on a personal level. And so therefore you're feeling emotional about it rather than saying a generic thing, which actually they haven't thought about it. It's not a proper observation. So it doesn't work. And yeah. it's, it's even more frustrating when you see those things get received the same way as something that's incredible yes like you see someone do some a, a really good observational funny bit of material and then you see someone do some weak observational stuff and then you go that's why everyone slags off observational comedy because sure. they see that and think it's easy whereas something like the man draw is really hard to yeah. write that yeah. routine it's yeah. really difficult and uh and so many people slag it off and go, eh, the man draw. it's so like, easy once it exists once it's been oh, pointed it's out there. it's yeah, so yeah, easy yeah. to go well i mean anyone could have said that yeah because, yeah because that's the beauty of it because we didn't you know no one did before yeah and yeah you managed yeah. to just hit all the targets and sum it all yeah, up yeah and same with the emotional stuff it's like the reason why i will get all i'll say i hate it and i don't like it because i see people do it badly and yeah. do it lazily and I can't connect to it at all. But then when I see Richard Herring talk about his grandmother, 
uh, it's just it's incredible. And you know, that is exactly. Yep, you've you've used exactly the right words. There. You've absolutely summed that up. I'm not laughing, but you've got me on an emotional level. I'm completely yeah. connected to this, yeah. and that's that's brilliant. So, I guess just laziness is what I don't like half the time. Um, we're going to have to wrap up fairly soon, and uh, I'm sure some of you need wheeze. We've, we've got a bit of a chance now. If anyone else would like to uh, ask any questions, can I? I'll just I'm just going to ask that again for the sake of the recording. I knew, this, I knew this question was going to happen. James, uh, have you specifically come up with, and uh, I'm going to motion to you as the questioner there did, with this image? Or uh, is this just you? Um, it's, uh, uh, it's a bit of both. I, I, um, when, I, when I started out, I didn't dress like this all the time. Uh, for the listener, I am dressed head to toe in m um, <laughs> and I always dress like this. I, I kind of like sometimes have jeans and T-shirts and stuff. But then sometimes I would wear... Uh, so I've, I've always, since school, worn slacks outside of school. <laughs> and I used to combine it with every now and again, I'd wear, I'd wear jeans as well. Uh, and, and when I started doing gigs, um, there was... Uh, every gig I did, when I wore slacks and a jumper, for some reason went better. <laughs> And I didn't know, and I started to notice it and go, why is that? And, and I started to find that often I'd walk on stage like that and they'd laugh before I got to the mic. And uh, I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then I kind of just realised that that suited me more. And that a lot of the time when I went on like that, they would see me and go, we know what we want to hear from this person now. Because we, 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 uh, especially when you're, you're a young male comic, if you walk on in jeans and a T-shirt, they might expect Russell Howard straight away uh, and want to hear anecdotes and stories and stuff like that. And if you go on and you don't do that, it can be a bit jarring I've got to adjust to it. Whereas you, if you go on looking like a total dork, before you've, got, you've said anything, they're going, we would like to hear this guy be yeah. a dork. Or just, just, just talk about weird, you know, a bit more unconventional stuff or whatever. So... I just found it gave, gave them an idea of who I was before I got to the mic and uh, started doing more gigs like it. Also, I wanted to kind of look different from the audience and not just look like I'd got out the audience onto stage. Uh, yeah, I wanted to... Uh, uh, <laughs> it's, essential, it's essential to what I do that, I, that people initially mistake me for a cocky audience <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I, can't, I, I kind of wanted them to be like, he's not one of us, and so therefore he won't have the same opinions as us for the whole, the whole thing. So yeah, it kind of uh, was that. And I, also, I genuinely like dressing like this. <laughs> <laughs> Do comedians brainstorm or peer review amongst themselves uh, in order to write material? Yeah, uh, I don't know what peer review means. Well, but, uh, I was, I was yeah, just yeah, thinking yeah, yeah. my so, audience so. is pretty sophisticated. <laughs> You know, the, you're the, the kind of guy who owns a flip chart. Um, <laughs> I, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. So it was a sit down with other comics, uh, sometimes like friends, uh, and, and uh, yeah, just discuss like I've got this bit and, and, and whatnot, and try and kind of help each other with it a bit. But um, not not loads. But every now and again, if you've got an afternoon free and you've kind of been hitting a bit of a brick wall writing by yourself, it's quite good to invite your friend over and like yeah hit things back and forth um but most of the time we end up talking about gigs we've done recently and then <laughs> for, for the last five minutes go 
oh sorry can I just pick your brain about Yoko Aino uh, <laughs> and then like try and sneak in right at the last minute but um, yeah yeah definitely uh, do that every now and again and uh, sometimes it is yeah, really helpful and also if you've helped a comic with a bit uh, it's impossible to watch them do that bit, watch them get a laugh, and not turn to the comedian next to you and go, "That was mine." I can't remember. That. <laughs> he totally didn't know what to do with that, and I solved it. Yes, <laughs> a nice note to end on. Um, when was the last time you absolutely died, and why? Um, what, what do you mean uh, absolutely dying? Do you mean just the absolute silence, or do you mean like just didn't go well? Because, you know... Like a death as opposed to a bad gig. That's yeah, OK. So, yeah, that, that gets rid of a lot of options. <laughs> <laughs> um, I did a gig in Leeds maybe a couple of weeks ago, two weeks ago, and uh, it was... Now, see, this is going to sound like I'm, I'm blaming other things outside my control, which is not... I tell you, part of it was part of it was um, it seemed something inconsequential that I decided to do the same material I did tonight, which is not yet finished. It, but the the audience was quite sparse and had given the compare pretty much nothing uh, when he went on and was trying to get them going, and they were digging their heels in and didn't want to go with it. And then I was on first, and then I then decided to do twenty minutes of new. Um, but because I, kind of, it's, I think because I felt like it would be soul destroying to go on and I, I knew whatever I did was going to get a lukewarm response anyway and I didn't want to go on and do stuff that I knew worked to a lukewarm so I, I got selfish and decided to go and do 20 minutes of stuff that I, I, I'd at least get something out of which I would say is not professional. <laughs> I, I think that really, if I wanted to properly do that gig well, I should have gone on and gone, here's the 20 that's going to most you know, benefit the night and lift it a bit because you're a diff- difficult crowd. But, uh, but also you have to get something for yourself, don't you? you, you well, know. I don't think you do, but I always feel like okay. I do. Okay. Like, I, I, I think sometimes you've got to just go, no, it's their night out and mm-hmm. I should... And, Right now, I've got a job to do, mm. and I, I never do that. <laughs> I, 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 I always get this thing that just goes, "No, you've got a, you know." Also, I kind of get, get, I think back to like gigs like this, say, and go, "Well, they liked it at that gig, so they can yeah. like it here." Yeah, and, then, yeah. and then you go on, and then you know, I mean, when when they don't like you, going da 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 for a long time <laughs> yeah. is really uh, really quite something. So yeah, also I think um, when when I properly die. A lot of the reason as well is because um, I will draw out uh, routines. So if they don't want to hear about something uh, and they don't like me anyway, when I carry on talking about it for five minutes, um, that it just annoys them. And, and it's just really like, I can't believe... Because also you kind of go... It's like, if you were, again, if you're at a party, you started talking to someone about something, they weren't interested, and you just kind of went, I'm going to carry on down this way. I don't care. I carry on talking about this I'm not going to pick up on the signal and the person they're going oh god I'm stuck with this guy I've got to hear about this and like that's when I'm having a bad gig that's what I'm like for the whole room it's just like I'm just like someone who won't take a hint and is continually going I'm going to carry on talking about mariachi music and you're going to and, uh, even though you don't want to hear it so a lot of the time yeah the deaths kind of get worse because of that and then um often you know provokes a heckle and then uh, that's this, uh, irrecoverable um, <laughs> sometimes obviously sometimes when they heckle and then you come back and it 
turns the gig around a bit, but then again, you're in that kind of dilemma where mm. that's the best thing you've done. And so going back to the stuff they didn't like is, is also <laughs> going to be quite bad. So yeah, I think a lot of the time, as a broad answer, a lot of the time, the reason why most, <laughs> not most of my gigs, <laughs> <laughs> most of my bad gigs go badly is because I don't really have a plan B to fall back on. And so if they don't like it, they're going to get the same thing for 20 minutes. <laughs> and so uh, it's not going to get... I haven't got, like, well, they're not liking this, so I'm going to pull out that completely different routine. That's gonna, this, this always turns them. I've pretty much got more of that. I often find myself in my head reaching back into my arsenal and finding the same weapon that I'm already using. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's another pea shooter. And there's another that's... And that's it. And so, like, yeah, I kind of, it kind of goes into that. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for coming. Would you please join me in thanking Mr. James Acaster? When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.